welcome back to Create Out Loud. I'm Jen Loudon, your host, and I'm so happy you're here with your ears. Who am I? I've written nine books with about a million copies sold. I helped start the self-care movement, and I am a creativity and writing mentor, teacher, and passionate advocate for you to create out loud. This week, we have a super special guest. As always, all of our guests are special and interesting and wonderful and have something to teach you. But this one, you're going to play a game. This week's guest is Eve Rodsky, the New York Times bestselling author of Fair Play, a book about how to create equity in the home for all that unpaid labor. Hugely popular book and card game. But you're like, wait, why are we talking about that on a creativity podcast? Because her new book is called Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. Ooh, we're going to get gritty about all the internal and external blocks to actually making the creative world work and expression that you want. And even if you don't think you struggle with time, you may struggle with some of the things we're going to talk about and give you solutions for. Hey, but before we dive in, I got some news for you. I have a pretty new website. Yeah, we redid our website. And for those of you who know the site, you may be like, oh, but I love that website. Well, it was broken. (laughs) It had all kinds of janky stuff happening in the background, so we had to redo it. So we went for a new, rich look. And um, I think it's really pretty spectacular. So go over and check it out. Check out the homepage if you want. You can get my fantastic sort of half quiz, half guide freebie to get unstuck. It is really, really, really good. And... You'll have it in your back pocket if you're not in stock right now. It's for all creatives. And you can also check out my about page. It's got some of my uh, writing clients on it and what I'm doing with my uh, client work with writers and my writing retreats that are coming up. So check it out. All right, let's get to Eve. Eve, you and I are both big believers that creativity is necessary for your health and your well-being and your full expression of humanity. And so does everybody listening. But the thing that I encounter the most, in fact, I just encountered it with someone this morning, is claiming the space and time and agency for that creativity. I mean, I can't believe 30 years into doing this work, it is so still so hard for so many women that I work with. Even though we have your new book, Finding Your Unicorn (laughs) Space, and you can see my tags in it. I want to rewind and talk about your first book, your New York Times bestseller, Fair Play, and just talk a little bit about how the Fair Play system can help people in partnership make that time to find their unicorn space. (laughs) Well, I think it's such a great question, right? It's Jen, it's like same shit, different decade where- Yeah, same shit, um, different decade. The hurdles- seem to never, the more productive we get in terms of technology, it seems the paradox is we keep getting less and less time and more and more busy, which you talk about. And, and I think that is especially hard for women. Unicorn Space, which is a book about creativity, as you just mentioned so beautifully and fair play, what they have in common is, as you said, the hurdles. I think it really started for me when you think about the hurdles, it started for me with Zach, my first son, 13 years ago was handed to me. Because what I remember about that day in the hospital was it was the first day where my name was gone. It erased like a cloud in the wind. Labor delivery nurse handed me Zach and said, hi, mom, uh, how are you feeling? And I do remember at the same day, my friend visited me in the hospital. And this was 13 years ago when those little charms were really in fashion. And she gave me a, a circle charm that said mom on it. And I proudly put that around my neck. And then what I remember three years later, when Fair Play was written, it talks about how my marriage over almost ended over a text my husband Seth sent me that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. But at the same time that I was having 
a terrible time with the division of labor, of unpaid labor, invisible work in my home being the she fault for literally every single thing in my household, two thirds or more of what it takes to run a household, it falls on women, a statistic I was living, but I didn't undeniably know about at the time. At that same time, I remember sitting down at a preschool transition class where the preschool teacher looked at me and said, this is your support system. Look around. These are the people that are going to help you be there for you in a pinch. They're going to be the ones who know you better than anybody. And Jen, I look around and I look at my name tag, which said Zach's mom. And I remember thinking, okay, these are the people who are going to know me best. They don't even know my fucking name. And so that's where I think the problem starts. I think Mm -hmm. it starts with the fact that women, when we're young, we're taught we could be anything. We have dreams. We have huge creative dreams, ton of ideas. We start to put ourselves to those ideas. And then slowly we get, we fade and we erase and society tries to erase us and they take away our names. And then they say, well, you're allowed to be a parent. You're allowed to be a partner. You're allowed to be a professional. Maybe, maybe in some States we'll encourage you in the workforce, but most of the time we don't. And then there's no time left for us. Our most valuable currency, our time we've been conditioned since birth to not only give our names away, to give our identities away, but to give away our time, our most valuable currency for free. I think that's where it starts. I'm thinking of those moments when your name was taken. Is that a moment of the patriarchy coming in, in the systems that we don't even, we don't even see, like the nurse doesn't think I'm erasing your name. The nurse thinks, well, you're so happy about this new identity. How many ways it just seems baked in to how we interact with each other and how we dismiss each other. I love that term baked in because it's so beautiful when you think about, could we bake our way out of this? That's a fun, creative way to do. Uh, patriarchy cakes. Yeah, we can start, start a little side They'll business. have a file yeah, on the inside. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a weapon inside, you know. It's really interesting because yes, I do think that's the issue, that it's, it's baked in. It's baked in, and you know it because your beautiful work, You literally do this every single day where you extract permission to be unavailable from our roles from women. If we already had the permission to be unavailable from our roles, we would have leisure time for things that make us uniquely us. It's subversive. Talk about baked in. I remember, and it's not just men, right? Women become complicit in our own oppression. It just, it happens because we're taught again, to give away that, that currency for free. I remember really being excited about this idea for fair play, this idea that, oh, you know, no one's really talked about the home as our most important organization. And I really want to research this. This is before I knew it was going to be a book. And I remember taking Sundays off. And as I would sit there with these interesting beta tested cards, I had this huge stack of cards. I remember some people almost inevitably, somebody would ask me about what those cards are. And then I get into a conversation with all genders, all ages, well, what are you doing here? Oh, you have a family. Wow. You have two kids. That's amazing. Uh, who's watching those kids right there, their father. And it was a shock. A man can take care of his children by himself. I could never do that. I would never be able to leave my partner for the day. And so I was like, what, what is the point of this conversation? Are you shaming me to go back to that relationship? Even one time, one woman said to me, husband going to do if you work all during the week and and you're not even with him on the weekend. I'm like, are you implying that he's going to leave me? I don't understand where this conversation is going. So this is baked into our daily, even our daily conversation over Starbucks. And so what's been interesting for me, as I started to really go on this journey to understand the erasure of women, 
was that sort of where creativity ended up? Why a second book about the division of labor between heteronormative couples? How did a creativity book come second? It was Mm -hmm. because ultimately when I started to look at places that people in the longest longitudinal study, probably now of unpaid labor over 10 years, when I interviewed over and over again in 17 countries, Jen, what I heard was, how do you feel about the home life? The two words I heard most often, and we know this now because we have a word cloud from the those cool softwares that can bring up words as you type in, overwhelm and boredom. And that's a deadly combination. So when I start to think about, well, what's the opposite of overwhelm and boredom? I start to really look at positive psychology and what was interesting about true positive psychology, not the sort of the co-opted kind mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, is like gratitude journaling yourself to death, but the real positive psychology is that we need experiences that bring us happiness and meaning together. And often what was starting to happen was in my interviews, especially as the pandemic dragged on, was I saw people reporting happiness without meaning. Well, I escape Eve. Mm-hmm. You know, I binge watch Netflix. I use mommy juice. Edibles are really fun for me right now, right? So I would get this happiness without meaning, sort of these hedonic pursuits. And then I would hear a lot of meaning without happiness. I know this is great that I'm teaching my kids the multiplication tables. I know it's important that I step in to educate them when the schools can't. Meaning without happiness, which is often associated with caregiving. But I was really looking at when do people get happiness and meaning together? And often it's in, it's in these creative pursuits that make them them. We put them at the bottom of our list. And that's why I believe that so many of us feel overwhelmed and bored. So we come back though to the central question, which is then how do I make time? Yeah. How do I give myself permission? <laughs> how do, as you said, extract permission to explore my unicorn space? So I'm going to say this loud and a lot of different times. Creativity is not fucking optional. It is not optional. And if you continue to think it's optional, then you're going to continue to have a life of overwhelm and boredom. I so love how vehement she is. And I, of course, completely agree. I'm also thinking about Beth Pickens interview. Beth said this many different ways. If you're creative, it is not optional to create. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that. But I also think we've got to take this into our bones and our sinew and our cells. This is not optional. It's not extra. Pause there. That may be a big mindset shift for you right there. And if you already believe this, if you already know it's not optional, does your life reflect it? If I had a camera on your life for the next week, would I see that creativity is not optional in the choices that you make? And that is not anything I wish for anybody. And this is not a privileged conversation. In fact, what was happening in my research was that the people who identified as being in 9.9% of socioeconomic status ended up being the people who could not tell me what their unicorn space was, what their acts of what I call unicorn space is three C's, right? It's curiosity, connection, and completion. They could not tell me about things that they did that brought them any of those three things. And it was really depressing. And so I think what we have to realize is that in the spirit of Peter Drucker, all the management consultants out there, all the productivity people, you cannot manage what you don't measure. We have to add daily flourishing, which is linked to creative pursuits to our practice of our life. It's to me, it's a more important practice than meditation exercise because it brings 
important things, not just curiosity, but as we said, it brings connection. A creative life is a connected life, as you've talked about too. It's not Van Gogh cutting his ear off by himself. A creative life is a connected life. It also helps us combat loneliness. We know women are twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders. We are twice as likely to not ask for help. We are twice as likely to use medication in hedonic ways to escape from our lives. And that is just, it's not a life that I can wish on on anybody, even my worst enemy. That was quite a for me right there. My creative pursuits are as important as my exercise, which I'm super good at, and my meditation practice. Those are things that I have made seriously a part of my life for decades, decades, but not so much creativity for its own sake. So that's where I'm reflecting right now. What about you? What do you, did you, did that land with you? What's the difference between self-care and unicorn space? back to that happiness and meaning, this comes from the research. So, you know, I'm not making this up. We see now that pursuits where there's not a sharing component don't have the same mental and physical health benefits as pursuits done just solely in benefit of yourself. What I mean by that is a spin class is great. That's the baseline. A drink with a friend is great real self-care, not modified wellness. I'm not talking about what people sell you, you know, the CBD or oil pedicure. The scented candle. I said that once and people are like, oh, I want to have that. I'm like, no, you don't want to have that. You don't want that. Or walk with your dog on the beach. Self-care, of course, of course we need, you know, self-care. We do need friendships, but the beauty of a unicorn space, when you think of it as a cycle of curiosity, connection, and completion, all I can tell you, Jen, is in this longitudinal study now over a decade, there's a feeling. We say, well, what does the feeling evoke for you? So sometimes it's almost easier to define unicorn space, you know, this active space that's like a mythical unicorn, right? Doesn't exist until we reclaim it. Sometimes it's easier to describe it as what the feeling evokes. So the feeling that came up again, back in our our word clouds to the top was a feeling of, I can't believe I just did that. And it was, it kept coming up over and over again. Oh my God, they're saying it again. They're saying it. I can't believe I just did that. And so what I love about that is there's surprise in it. There is a little bit of rebel in you to push back against those societal permissions there's pride. How many of us get in? I can't believe I just did that. I'm sure you felt that way when you upload your first episode of this podcast. This is a unicorn space. I would put words in your mouth, right? You have curiosity. You connect with your guests so beautifully, and then you complete it, right? You and our friend Jeff here, right? You have to edit it. You have to put, you have to upload it. You have to be able to be judged by it. Those are things that are not easy to do. And So that's really the gift I would like to give. Instead of overwhelm and boredom, I want to hand all your listeners, and I can't believe I just did that experience because that is a unicorn space. And often you don't get that again from just, it's beautiful Mm -hmm. to take a walk with your dog, but you're not going to get that type of feeling unless you have that curiosity connection and completion altogether. What comes up for me with the third C completion that I can imagine some of my listeners, I feel like I can hear their (laughs) voices in their head. What do you mean completion? What does it mean to complete something? Like Jen is creating out loud with this podcast. She's been doing it for a really long time. She's not afraid. That's not true. Sometimes I am. (laughs) So many of the women that I work with, they're afraid to complete things. They're afraid to share it. That doesn't sound fun to a lot of people. No, and creativity (laughs) is not always fun. That's why I can't believe I just did that. You know, Mm. it wouldn't be, if it was so easy, you wouldn't be saying that to yourself. You wouldn't have that pride in yourself, that internal self-worth that we're talking about. 
But what's so fascinating that you just said that, Jen, is that it, it was so interesting to me because I really genuinely thought from the fair play research that the first C, the curiosity C, was mm-hmm. going to be the hardest hurdle. Because I had a lot of research that showed, especially people who were stuck with the unpaid labor in the home, that's where the fair play concepts come in, were saying to me things like curiosity. Well, first of all, that's for children or curiosity. Well, one woman I was laughing, she said to me, well, the only thing I'm curious about, Eve, is scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions. (laughs) Back then when she said it, I didn't know you could do that. Now I I realize my friends use a lot. They eat a lot of sushi. It's so weird. Anyway, so she said that and I started and we laughed, obviously. But what was so interesting about, so I thought that that's where the hurdle would be, this curiosity hurdle of saying, you know, and it's true, there was a passion gap. What was interesting in the research and my interviews were, and now we're at 750 that we track in a CRM, but we're at thousands of anecdotal interviews. And that was in 17 countries. There's a passion gap. If you have lost your creativity, your your unicorn space, what makes you, you in these roles of the three P's, the parenting, the partnering, the professionalizing. And by P professional, I mean, anybody who works for pay or works unpaid in the home, there is a passion gap. But what was equally interesting was the resistance to completion. There were almost an equal or even more, especially women who said to me, I have ideas, I am curious, but I'm a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. A graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. Oh God, sock in the gut? Or no, not me, or somewhere in between. I think for me, it might be somewhere in between. I also realize that that's part of my mission in life and part of my mission with this podcast to keep you from having a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. I want to be clear. Some of those dreams will go unfulfilled because you wanted a certain outcome that you didn't get, like a bestseller list for a book or a certain amount of money from selling your business or whatever it is. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not having that feeling in your body that Eve identifies as unicorn space. I can't believe I did that. Not how it went, not how well I did it, but I can't believe I did that. That's what I don't want for you. And one woman said that to me and she said, all you have to do, Eve, is look at my GoDaddy account and all of the domain names that I registered to see that I am a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. And so I said to her, okay, well, why? Why? And it's exactly what you said. There is a fear that completion has to be excellence. I'll tell you one quick story that was really interesting to me that I didn't get into the book because as we all know, manuscripts have to be, and you know this from your beautiful work, manuscripts have to be delivered. And sometimes you're even still interviewing and you're like, why can't I just get one more thing in? I was fascinated by Bob Ballard. This is the man who discovered the Titanic. And I wanted to find people who did things that were like the epic of their dream. Looking for someone who got the gold medal, who did their wildest dreams. So I used Bob Ballard because I liked his interview the best. He's the man who discovered the Titanic. That was his ultimate dream from his entire life when he was five years old. He wanted to be Captain Nemo. He wanted the biggest discovery you could find. And the Titanic was the biggest discovery at the time. Now he says it's Amelia Earhart's plane, but he found the Titanic. And I remember him saying to me, what do you do? Do you do like most Olympic athletes do and enter a spiral of depression or hedonic pursuits where... Mm -hmm. You end up spiraling and again, whether it's drug use, we see that with Olympic athletes or buying amassing homes and the pursuits that society tells us are supposed to be the ones that signal excellence, like a better house, 2.5 kids. He said, you know, he could have gone down that route. 
But what he said to me was so interesting. He said, look, I completed something. I was really excellent at my dream. Now I can play. I have permission to fail the rest of my life. I wish we could look at it that way. Instead of saying, well, I had to have a podcast that has to be as excellent as what I did before. It has to be the number one podcast on Apple. What if we just were able to say with our creativity, I was excellent. I did that thing. I fulfilled a dream. And now the rest of my life completion can just mean the active pursuit of my creativity. I think it frees us a lot from believing that creativity, that completion has to be excellence. But what about the person listening who says, I've never fulfilled my dream? Well, that person, we're going to start from very small steps. What that person has to understand is that society has been conspiring against you, probably from the moment you woke up to have extrinsic milestones Mm-hmm. that we're supposed to fulfill you. And so I think it's actually really important for that person who says, I've never been able to fulfill my dreams is to understand that you're not alone, that this is not about self-help. This is about mutual aid. It's about understanding that you start with the return, the return to that middle C that we never talk about because people always say, well, yeah, connection, blah, blah, blah. But it's the connection. We're meaning-seeking individuals. If you're somebody who says, I've never fulfilled that dream, I would say you have to start with that second C of connection. Why do you want to share yourself with the world? In the unicorn space, I identify seven motivations. And what's so fascinating is that so many people actually start with that, Jen. They start with saying, okay, I may never have fulfilled my dreams because now I realize they were dreams of other people's. They were my father's dreams. I am a professional golfer because my father wanted me to be that. Or I was supposed to be a great writer because my parents wanted me to get my PhD, but now I don't know what to do with it. So often it's because someone else has set those dreams for us. And when you can return to why you want to share yourself with the world, is it because you have a skill you want to pay forward to somebody else? Is it because you have a beautiful thing in your past? Like my friend who has Hindu astrology in her past, and she finally realized she wanted to pass that down to her kids and learn to read charts because she didn't want her grandmother and her uncle to die with family. I knowledge. love that story in the book. Yeah. Yeah. There, when you can realize why you want to share yourself with the world, is it that you want to teach? Is it that you need a serendipitous community? A lot of introverts I found said they want to share themselves with the world quietly. So surfing, for example, I want to be in a community of others who commune with nature, but I don't have to talk to anybody So, <laughs> because you want to be in a serendipitous community of people who can do things like you. Is it because you want to be accountable to somebody else? Cause you've never been able to finish something without being accountable. So you need a accountability partner. When you think about why you want to share or need to share often, then you can work yourself back to what that dream can be because now you know what you need, what you need to accomplish it. And what your desire, what your true desire is, which is exactly, which so many of us don't know. No, it's a huge part of what I work on with people. It's a constant. And I want to say, if you're like, yeah, Jen, it is hard for me to own my desires or to know them. You're not alone. I honestly have worked with women on this for, well, 30 years. We have been enculturated to believe our desires are not only selfish, but they're dangerous. And one of the reasons we fall into periods of despair and feeling lost and everything that this podcast is about preventing and this interview is about illuminating other ways and what I call the why bother time from my book, Why Bother? Discover the desire for what's next is because we don't make space and time to cultivate even the simplest of desires. Do I want tuna fish or a ham sandwich? 
Do I want to have sex or not? What do I want to read? Start with small desires, paying attention. Some of them may feel really ambivalent. You may not be sure. Just choose something and see how it feels. Reflect. It's not about getting it right. It's about tuning in and trying things. It's a constant challenge (laughs) to (laughs) excavate that desire and also let it continue to grow and change. Because as you said, you take action on it, you grow and change by taking the action. You change when you complete something and you step back and you go, who am I now? And what do I know now? It's you're different. Absolutely. I would say, right. Like my creativity was, you know, it was me, sir. Mm -hmm. There was a time where I was so excited to understand and unpack why no one had really treated the home as their most important organization. Why do we have 50 years of organizational management research that's never been applied to the home? That was a really, really curious, interesting question. So for years, I stayed in curiosity, years and years and years. And that meant interviewing everybody. Like I said, I probably have the longest, longest, biggest unpaid labor, qualitative data set in the world because I couldn't stop interviewing to the point where my colleague, Pam Stone, a a famous sociologist said, Eve, you know, you've hit a saturation point. You have to stop asking the same question over and over again. You can predict people's answers. I was so obsessed with the curiosity. And then one day I decided I wanted to share myself with the world. That was it. I said, this is too important. It's helping Seth and me. There's too many couples who are my beta testers. I want to share this with the world. That's the scary part. But I knew because it was this pay it forward, I wanted to have no other generation come behind me that had struggled with the same issues that Seth and I struggled with, that ultimately it became a completion. The completion just became cards that I started to test. Mm -hmm. And then the completion became an article I wrote. Mm -hmm. And then the completion became two chapters in a book. So like you said, it doesn't mean I sat there and said, my big, hairy, audacious goal I call it my big, hairy, audacious, authentic goal, because often our goals are set by others. So make sure Mm -hmm. it's authentic to you, was never to be a gender division of labor specialist. That's not what I had on my third grade. (laughs) What do you want to be when you grow up bored? It had astronaut there. (laughs) So like you said, I need to grow and change with my passions, with my curiosities, as long as there is some version of a completion. So you can wake up and say, I can't believe I just did that. And it doesn't have to be as big as selling a book, even though Jen and I have that in common. You know, I had one woman recently who said, okay, I get it. I get it. Stop making me part of your data set. And I kept giving her the homework assignment, the small step of come back to me with one day, one day in the, in the next month where you tell me the most important thing you did that day was outside of your roles as a parent and or partner and or professional, just one day. So she kept really having a hard time with the word important. Cause she's like, well, nothing's going to be as important as raising my kids. I'm like, okay, important is not where I want you to get stuck. Just tell me you came back and you said, I did something as important as those three P's. She kept getting stuck. And finally she jumped into the Atlantic ocean with a polar bear club. She saw an ad with her local Y. She said, I'm doing it. I'm signing up for the polar bear. It means her husband, she's in a heterosis gender marriage, had to take care of their kids on a Saturday by himself. That's still subversive in this society for it men sure to is. take care of kids alone without the help of a, of a babysitter or a mother-in-law to help. And she spent Saturday jumping into the Atlantic ocean. Uh, and that's completion. And she knew, and she knew the moment of completion. She did because she said, I finally understood what you meant, Eve. I said, I got out of that damn ocean. I said, I can't believe I just fucking did that. So I was like, that's it. That's the phrase I want you to have. And she did it. So I love love her. Thank you. Shout out for you coming back and working with me and telling your story to us. But there's so many like that. Uh, People are doing really interesting things and it's never too late. 
What if you don't know what your unicorn activity, we touched on that a little bit, but I just want to go back. So I know we're going to be curious. I do believe that we actually do know, but we're not stopping to notice, pay attention. We expect it to arrive with an angel and a tablet on stone. This is your unicorn activity. Well, first they, they should hire you, but, but you're probably booked. Let's play a game. Why not? One of my favorite things is to create games with books. This unicorn space creativity deck this is a prototype. So this will be new to your listeners. This is nowhere to be found, but let's play. And Jeff, if you're here too, our producer, anybody or your listeners, if you want to play with us, what I'm going to do for you, Jen, you're going to be my contestant. This is the game of solitaire. What can I win? (laughs) Exactly. Well, you can win the cards. We will send you a unicorn box. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you 50 choices. Okay. And so it's going to take about three minutes. You're going to have to listen carefully. Don't blurt out anything until you hear all 50. Okay. Can I make a note to myself? Yes, of course. And Jeff, you too. Jeff is going to play along with us. Everybody at home, make a note. Yes. And everybody at home, please play along with us too. And you're going to see what I mean by the return, the return to the values, the motivations that we talked about. So the goal here, don't get hung up with the word passion or hobby. This doesn't have to be a hobby, which we, we hate that word. It doesn't have to be your passion. This is about creative pursuits or anything that makes you come alive right now. You're vibing with right now. So you're done. And I need you just to pick one. Design, genealogy and lineage, otherworldly pursuits like tarot, finding, collecting, and foraging, restoration and renovation, research and learning, math and sciences, teaching, writing, fashion, event planning, health and wellness, language and anthropology, video games, games like puzzles, coding, engineering, baking, cooking, building and DIY, arrows and axes. There are a lot of people who choose that, by the way, which I find interesting. Beauty, pottery, florals, gardening slash farming, photography, woodworking, metallurgy, music, stitching and needles, art, storytelling, water sports, travel and culture, performing, animals, dance, rhetoric, martial arts, sports with wheels, memories and archiving, running, triathlon, sports with balls, snow sports, theater and production, circus, racing, and or spiritual wellness. Now play that again if you didn't write some things down. You could hear me writing, right? I was writing the ones that grabbed me. So play it again if you didn't write any down. You can write down as many as you want and then choose one because now we're about to unpack it and I don't want it to be a spoiler for you. That was fun. You had to pick one. I got to pick one. And you'll see why. You'll see why what we're going to do with it. All right. I'm going to be really weird and pick anthropology. Oh my God. I love that because that's why you and I love each other. (laughs) That's the one of the ones I always pick. First of all, tell me why. And this is what you're going to be doing with yourself as listeners when you play this game with us. Tell me why. I got a hit from a a number, maybe eight of them. Some of them are things I do now, but one of the things that in my own life in looking at this overwhelming, uh, not overwhelming burnout, but overwhelming boredom place mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. pandemic has, has served us 
is feeling like I have the same thoughts over and over again. I have the same creative projects over and over again and lacking that curiosity and that freshness. So when you said anthropology, I'm like, I went back to freshman year in college and taking every anthropology class I could. I went back to being curious about other cultures and third grade Mesopotamia. (laughs) And just the idea of something fresh that I think for me, Eve, and, and maybe this is a secondary question, but so much of my creativity is about producing things that build my business or bring me clients or sell my books. And so to think about something that wouldn't have anything to do with that. Oh my God. I love that so much. And my, you know, like you came up, like running is one of the things I do, but running, I mean, it's definitely for fun, but I, I don't think of it as a unicorn space for myself. I think of it as something I do that because I'm tough, because I want to age well, because my husband likes to do it. Yeah. That those are other external extrinsic motivations, not bad ones, but I think you're, you're modeling for people how to think about the cards and we'll talk about. So there's two different exercises I want to do. So number one, you start with, this is actually, we're still in exercise number one, which is solitaire exercise. Number two, we're going to call the remix, but exercise one, you ask yourself, why did I pick that card? And on a a piece of a post-it in a journal, you just start writing it down. So I started to hear for you, curiosity, visiting with other cultures, having something fresh, mm-hmm. learning for the sake of learning as opposed to for your business. Yep. Love that. Um, and I love how your face just got excited when you said mm-hmm. that. Th- what's so beautiful about that is those, you already did this because you're well-versed in this, but a lot of people keep it surface level. You already brought it down to values and feelings. And that's what I want people to do. So if you're why, why you pick the card, if it's, you're struggling with why, what feelings and values does it come up with? So okay. what I would say for you is my gift back to you would I would write down or I would send you back a post-it or I'd say to you, I want to be your accountability partner, right? Someone you know in your life for your curiosity, for your exposure to other cultures, for you feeling like you have a fresh experience, you know, in your life on a, a weekly, daily basis, and the learning for sake of learning. So then what I could do for you as an accountability partner, you could do for yourself is say, have I learned for the sake of learning this week? Mm. Have I been curious this week? Have I had access to other cultures this week, whether it's through books, podcasts, uh, actually going somewhere, planning a trip to do the anthropological studies or the anthropology? Does anything feel fresh? Have I learned anything that feels fresh and new? An aha moment. The beauty of this is those values and feelings can go, you can have those aha moments while you run. And that's where the exercise two comes up. So tell me the other cards that came up for you. Performing, ball sports. Oh, I love it. And theater. So this is how you do the remix. So what I would say to you, if you're feeling stuck, all these all feel big, or I'm not willing to take an anthropology class, or, or you may, for your listeners out there who may have a hard time with those small steps, what I'd say the best thing you can do is look at your secondary cards and figure out how you can remix the two. Like, for example, there is a, an ology podcast that I like out I there. I love that yes. podcast. Hey, two things. One, we'll put a link to that favorite podcast that she just said in the show notes. You can always find them at jenniferloudon.com under podcast. And did you know we put all the episodes on YouTube? So if you ever want to see something like the person, or in this case, you could see a little bit of the card deck, you can just always go over to YouTube and search for Jennifer Loudon or Create Out Loud. Right. So listen to an episode while you run. That's like a low hanging fruit right there. We're dealing with language and anthropology and you're running and you're combining them. Or I would say, think about theater. Like I just saw Lehman trilogies, you know, that's an anthropological study into capitalism. 
And I would argue it, it trades in some anti-Semitic tropes. So it wasn't my favorite play, but the point is like, how could, could you look and see what community theater is in your, is in your town and go see a play that has some historical significance Mm -hmm. to it. So that's, you start playing with the cards, big and small, it becomes really fun. So that's what you ask, you know, if you really need to get unstuck quickly, what I would say, it's so beautiful to use this exercise as a way to get to those values and to say, it may not be running this week. It may not be language anthropology this week, but I will say, I will not allow you not to feel like you're learning for the sake of learning. This is so much fun. Where does the completion come in? What is your completion? I'd say learning for the sake of learning could be as much as understanding that you want to learn about X and you just buy a book about X. It may be that your completion this week in your language and anthropology unicorn space cycle is either curiosity, connection, or completion. And so it may just be that you're in the curiosity phase. You're not at completion yet. You may be in the connection phase where you have a friend who you decide you want to do language and anthropology by learning Italian first. So maybe it's connecting with that friend. But if you're thinking about getting towards a completion, what I would say is that you think about the things that are like when you start to smile, like what is something that this goal out there that you may end up changing, but something that can be a small step that signals seriousness. So I say Mm -hmm. small steps signal seriousness. So if it's too small of a step, like I'll go to a bookstore, that's not really signaling seriousness, but a ukulele concert for friends could be a really fun sort of quote unquote, small step to learning an instrument. If music was your card Mm -hmm. for you in language and anthropology, maybe it's presenting a podcast, you know, one of your episodes, a bonus episode, what creativity looked like for you for learning for the sake of learning. What did you learn for the sake of learning or even. All right, stay tuned bonus episode in the future. As I experiment with language and anthropology learning for its own sake. And I'll report on that. I'm not going to tell you when, because I don't know how long it'll take. To your family at a family dinner, but you set those goals that are small steps that signal seriousness though. So Mm -hmm. they're not too small. They have to signal seriousness to you. So whether it's paying money to sign up for the Babbel app and saying you're going to complete Mm -hmm. 20 minutes a day, it has to be something enough that you feel is signaling seriousness to yourself. Creativity is not a stagnant pursuit. And mm-hmm. I think so many people think of it as a passion. And so they get stuck with saying, I'm not creative. But what I love about your work, Jen, is that you allow, you give people permission to, to try and to, and to change and to understand it's dynamic and it's a practice that those are all things that I think are so important that we often don't hear about creativity. So speaking of a creative moment, I'm really curious about that transition for you from your professional life to developing fair play, because that was your unicorn space. It was. And you trusted it, but at some point it became a whole new career for you. What was that transition like? And then it's not a unicorn space anymore, or you need another unicorn space. And now my unicorn space is 100% dance and I'm looking for a ballroom partner. So if anybody out there in LA wants to dance with me, when something that you're passionate about, it's such a privilege, obviously, to be able to have this creative capital that becomes financial capital. I talk about this a lot in communities of color. So many communities of color, their creative capital is often stolen by sort of this white capitalism in a way that that doesn't produce financial capital. So it is a big privilege to be able to have creative capital that also turns into financial capital. But what it often does then is it takes out the thing that you said earlier, the learning for the learning sake. Mm-hmm. So I do feel that in those situations, it can still be, of course, 
a wonderful and important and meaningful pursuit. But I do think you have to still bring in those other ones that are done just for the sake of the curiosity, the connection and the completion. It just, when money gets involved or the, the P and the professional sort of creeps in, it's still really important. It can be a unicorn space, but you need more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to be more greedy instead of less. You need mm-hmm. more unicorn space, yeah. abundance. And that is a creative mindset is that it becomes an abundance mindset. And that's what's so beautiful, especially in the fair play context, because the saddest part about fair play, when I realized that the person who loves you the most resents you the most. And it was happening all over this idea that when people said I had a unicorn space, they would get eye rolls from their partners. Oh, he's golfing again. Oh my God. Spa day for her again. And I'm like, spa day? She's she's writing her novel. It was this resentment and this rage from the person who's supposed to love you this work that did not want to protect your creative space. And often that happens when that person is not reciprocated. Mm. So when you can look at it together as a collective couple and say, hey, do we want to live a life of overwhelm and boredom? Or do we want to live a life of abundance and joy where we both get time to do the things that we love? Yes. But I would say the most important thing for a couple, if you're in a couple, is to have time for your own, your own unique unicorn space creative pursuits. What is your partner's unicorn space? We laugh. His is building culturally relevant assets. So it's a very interesting. So what he, what Seth loves to do is he loves to find problems in the market or, and figure out how you can change and solve those problems. So for example, he was obsessed five years ago with thinking about dairy cows and, you know, sort of the problem of climate. You know, he came to me and said, okay, learning for learning's sake, researching, researching sake, you can make milk out of oats and it actually tastes really good. And it's not the problem of almonds and water. I was like, hey, what are you talking about? What do you mean milk out of oats? Like the oatmeal? He ended up investing in Oatly, one of the biggest companies that makes oat milk now, but he's a futurist. He likes to foresee trends and then try to solve them. Last question. What do you want to learn the next Eve? Oh my God. That's the best question. What do I want to learn next is why we've never measured unpaid labor in our U.S. gross domestic product. I'm really fascinating, actually, back to learning for learning's sake. I'm an economics major, so an anthropology major. So back, and I did a ton in economics. That's what I returned to. I returned to that discipline. And I just got three books on time use accounting and trying to understand how do we start measuring our subjective well-being? Because if you look at gross domestic products, Ukraine, Ukraine next year is going to show an increase in GDP. It's a toxic measure. It is a toxic measure. It's a toxic measure without context. And I want to learn about how can we measure subjective well-being in a way that's less toxic for our planet, for the people who live on this planet. And really that takes into account our well-being. Any economists out there that work on that issue, please feel free to reach out to me and send me any any papers because I'm steeped in, in that learning right now. Eve, it's been a delightful, wonderful, illuminating conversation. Thank you so much for your books and for your presence. And I appreciate your time so much. And same. Thank you for devoting your life to creativity. Wow, lots of good stuff to unpack there. I feel like there's a deeper permission that Eve is talking about in her book, Find Your Unicorn Space, and this interview, which is really that creativity is not optional, that it really is where that juice to live and to create that meaning that we're all craving comes from. And it's the way out of boredom and overwhelm. And you're, you know that, right? You're a believer, but 
Is it actually enough a part of your life? Or is there some new expression like we explored with me that you need? What's your takeaway that you can super apply this week to finding more of that creative unicorn space? And if your creativity is your job, like it is mine, remember what she said, when money comes into it, things change. And that's the big struggle for me, as I've shared repeatedly, making time outside of podcasting and writing my weekly newsletter slash blog post and social media content and teaching content and marketing content, all of that stuff takes a lot of creativity and it doesn't leave me a lot of space because I don't make it. But now I will be in the realm of anthropology and learning. So stay tuned for more about that in a bonus episode. Speaking of episodes, next week we have Paco de Leon. Now, isn't that a fabulous name? She is the author of Finance for the People, and you are going to love, love this episode. If money is an issue for you in any way, shape, or form as a creative, get ready for some very practical, really actionable ideas. And she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. You're really going to like her. Of course, I probably think you like all my guests. Who are you going to text? and tell what your takeaway is. Who are you gonna share this episode with? Help the world become a more creative place. Help your friends claim their unicorn space this week. Text this or share a link from wherever you listen to podcasts with three people. It's easy. Just go into whatever you're listening to this on right now, if you haven't downloaded it, and whatever app you use, there'll always be a little share button. It looks like a little square with an arrow, and if you tap that, it gives you ways to share it on social, email, etc. Okay, see you next week. And in the meantime, what are you going to do? Oh, you know it. You're going to create out loud. 